You're listening to Closer Look. Here's Alex Gregory. One of the last places we expect to find trouble is at church. But with some of the stuff going on in the news, some are asking tough questions about what the best ways to protect their church family are. With us tonight on Closer Look are 14-year SWAT veteran Glenn Evans, who's with the Church Security Alliance, as well as Hector Alvarez, with better than a quarter decade of experience in law enforcement and organizational security. Hector represents Alvarez Associates. To get us started, Glenn, when a potential client contacts you, what is their mindset been? And is there a biblical example that gives us some clarity on securing our places of worship? Right now, I think people are very scared, uh, people who watch the news. Um, the news sometimes is in the business of telling us all the bad things that happen in our culture, and they don't focus on the great things that are happening in churches all throughout the United States. And I'm not sure the exact number of churches that we have throughout the United States, but it's somewhere around 350,000. If you look at all the situations that have happened of violence, um, they're worried that could happen in their church, and that's why we're getting so much or so many requests for information. I don't want them to live with the spirit of fear. That's not what God wants us to do. But I do believe that God wants us to use common sense approach to safety and security. And even in uh, Nehemiah, when, when the Israelites came back and they were rebuilding the temple, they were being attacked by their enemies, and they set up a guard to stay and watch. And that's really all we're saying is, hey, there are, we know that we live in evil days, and we know that uh, you know, the gospel preaches that everyone needs a savior uh, because we have this in nature. And so we understand that there is a bent toward evil in our culture and really worldwide, and that uh, it's just a good idea to start paying attention. And simply paying attention and keeping an eye out for suspicious circumstances and know how to respond to those things can go a long way to securing a church. Hector, what's something you say to help people conceptually get that crime can happen at churches too? I think our churches have always been a source where where people may gravitate who are in crisis. Um, And so I I think as a Christian, I think as a a person of faith, it's important to understand that there are people who are on a different path than us. There are people that may take advantage of the fact that when we're collecting our tide, in in summary, that that could end up being a lot of money and a life-changing amount to somebody uh, who's focused. And so we do have to take those basic safety measures and be aware of that um, being a Christian doesn't mean that we're unaware of what's going on in the world. In fact, it probably should make us much more aware. And how do you get people to come around to the idea that maybe it's time to consider a church security ministry, Hector? You know, one of the things that we do at the beginning of every one of our classes, I talk about my family, the things I love and care about and want to go home to. And so what we have found helps people get over their reluctance to accept or their denial or their belief that it could never happen is just the simple question is, you know, how much do you want to come home at the end of the day to the ones you love and care about? Uh, embracing this idea that there are bad people in the world for some people it can be overwhelming, but if you if you take it from the other perspective, that it's not so much about them, but it's about us and our desires to continue enjoying the things that we enjoy, um, it makes that discussion a lot simpler. Glenn, how would you describe the Church Security Alliance? So what we 
would like to see ourselves as is a resource for churches who are interested in increasing safety and security. And our recommendation and what we've had success with is um, having volunteers at church who take the responsibility of making sure that the campus is safe. And so that pastoral staff has uh, go-to people in case there's any kind of situation. For example, uh, probably the thing that most people run into at church is a medical event. Uh, Somebody has a stroke or a heart attack. Um, So we think it's important to have people in place that can respond to that because that is something that can save lives. And so that's probably what most churches, thankfully, are going to encounter. Um, That's going to be a medical event. But then for those things where you have basically crimes being committed, I think it's important for people to be paying attention. Is there a prime example of what a security ministry should be looking for when they're tasked with paying attention during service or mass? When I was a kid back in 1979, we were having some theft issues at a church where I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, the men of the church, my father being one of them, decided to start paying more attention. So they stationed someone outside, they had someone in the lobby, and then they had someone in the auditorium. And by doing so, they were able to they were able to catch the person who was breaking into the cars and uh, call the police and get them involved. Our whole thing and what we want people to understand is unless you are a police officer serving in that capacity, you're really a volunteer who's simply paying attention and alerting police when there happens to be a problem on your campus. You're listening to Closer Look. I'm Alex Gregory, and with me tonight are Glenn Evans with the Church Security Alliance and Hector Alvarez of Alvarez Associates. If you've watched the news over the past few months, it may seem like places you thought were safe just aren't. During some of the incidents that made big news recently, Hector, a term that was thrown around every once in a while was soft target. Is a church a soft target? Uh, yes, and, and like, you know, we could talk about what's a hard target, what's a soft target. Um, absolutely. And then what a lot of people just, I don't think, either realize or process is that the rate of violence out in the community, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about the violence in schools. The violence in churches and faith-based organizations matches, if not, is a little bit higher than the rate of occurrence we see in our educational settings. How does a church become a hard target? You know, moving from a, from a soft target, which is, you know, doors are wide open and everybody being comfortable, so a hard target can be a process, but the reality of our of our churches is they bring the good and bad uh, from our community, and there are a lot of people from the community that attend all our churches that probably have a very strong background, both in mental health, in security, in law enforcement, that could come together to form a security ministry. The discussion of whether or not to, to carry and allow people to carry in church is always a complicated discussion when you speak of firearms, but... If done properly, if done thoughtfully, uh, and if done slowly, it it could, in very specific instances, uh, be useful. However, that was a lot of qualifiers. And so before you get there, there's a lot of other things that need to be considered, a lot of basics that, that our churches just don't embrace. And what would a security ministry look like if you were advising someone to consider one? As an example, there's three real uh, areas that are in time periods that become a concern for us. That's the time period before the service, during the service, and after the service. And everything that we see happen in the communities can spill over into our parking lots and our waiting areas. And so the security ministry is a group of men and women that have made the decision to help look over the people that are attending church 
And as an example, during service, if there's a, a moment when we're praying, our security ministry would not be looking down. They would be looking up. Our security ministry would be out in the parking lot greeting people with a way to communicate to the, the members inside the church, the members where we have um, our children uh, being watched over, and they are eyes and ears while the rest of us are being able to enjoy our faith. Hector, is there a common thread with people who might consider committing a crime on church property? As good human beings and then as people of faith, uh, there's a certain way that we interact with people. One thing that we know about people who commit acts, a general theme, is that they tend to feel isolated and lonely. And so that initial conversation, if you get in the habit and are in the habit of talking to people, when you talk to that one person that's having a problem, that interaction may feel awkward or uncomfortable to you. And that may be the first clue that additional conversations are necessary. And how would that go from uh, from that point? Like, what would some of those conversations look like? As an example, you know, a pastor of a local church was up front greeting new members of the church at the beginning of the service, and a young man stood out to him, um, just really gave him that, that EBGB feeling and something called to him and said, this is something wrong. And it turns out it was. And this young man was definitely on the path of looking for a target and identified a target and had made serious, incredible threats in the past. And it was as simple as that pastor standing up front talking to somebody that allowed him to get more information, ask questions, and the authorities were called and were able to address it before before something bad happened. So what I'm getting is verbal de-escalation can help solve some of the problems. But for those who that might be a new term for, could you give us a quick rundown on what that means, Glenn? Sure. Verbal de-escalation is all about empathy. And a lot of people, they don't like when people start yelling. They don't like people who are out of control. That scares most normal people. So what I teach people to do is to, first of all, understand themselves, understand what kind of stresses that they've been involved in for that previous day or that particular day. And then I try to help them understand where this person is coming from. And really the the key to verbal de-escalation is to listen and then to repeat back what that person is saying. But the problem is a lot of people never say what they mean. Um, There's usually like a code or a hidden meaning in what they're saying. So what we do is we give people basic tools so that they can go through this process of getting someone to understand that, first of all, they want to be heard. The person who's doing the listening will hear what they have to say and then uh, direct them to something more productive in order for them to get what they want. Now, for someone who's got the build of a rhinoceros, verbal de-escalation might come a bit naturally. Is that generally what people should be looking for when building a security ministry? Yeah, so, you, so we're on the radio, so you can't see my um, my smile, my laugh. Some of the most successful people that I have seen at de-escalating, identifying, and avoiding violence have been people of small stature, have been, have been women, have been senior citizens. There, there's a real nurturing and a real um, self-awareness that somebody can carry to recognize when somebody's in crisis and be able to intervene. I don't think it matters if a person is a man or woman. I think it's what they bring to the table and their commitment to just understand themselves and other people that would be the perfect person to participate on the security ministry. You're listening to Closer Look. I'm Alex Gregory, and with me tonight are Hector Alvarez of Alvarez Associates and Glenn Evans with the Church Security Alliance. And we've been talking about how to keep your church family safe and what something like a security ministry would look like, actually. Glenn, I noticed that 
Church Security Alliance talks a bit about having medical support be part of the security ministry. What does that look like, though? So what we recommend for most churches is start with the people who are already involved in emergency medical services. So we're talking about police, fire, EMS. We're talking about doctors and nurses. And the whole idea here is to get people who really are calm under pressure. And so as far as the medical teams are concerned, you know, every church is different. There's really no cookie cutter approach to this concept of safety or security in church. So you have some teams that have people that are trained in uh, basic um, CPR and AED use. uh, And then you have you have people on teams that are full medical doctors that can perform all kinds of uh, procedures there. The whole idea, again, is early intervention. It's just understanding and recognizing some of the uh, signs of heart attack, of stroke, and then getting EMS there, because the quicker they can get there, the the better off that patient is going to be. Um, But there's a lot of teams that don't have anybody. I just trained a church um, in another state where they had no law enforcement and they had no EMS, no doctors on their team. So uh, what I teach in one of my seminars is a uh, basically five basic skills that can save a life. And I base it on the Antioch, Tennessee incident uh, that happened in September 2017, where they had three people on campus. They had a 22-year-old young man that stood up and went after the person who came in and was causing the violence. They had a second person who was a nurse who stood up and went around um, and started assessing the victims, and she was able to save the pastor's life in triaging the people who had been shot in the church so that they could be removed quickly. And then we had an 11-year-old boy who had been trained in lockdown procedures at his school who took it upon himself to lock down the children's area and barricade the doors. So basically, anybody who wants to stand up and stand in the gap and um, assist the people that are in the church are people that we would be looking for. That is a very high-speed 11-year-old than if he's able to, yep. uh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, wow, okay. And really it's responding, and for that, for what you just said, basically it's about responding to your training. There's two things. There's reaction, which doesn't always end well, and then there's responding. There's a big difference between the two. And when you're trained and you do that thing repetitively, then that becomes kind of second nature for you. And I think in that young man's school, I think they do lockdown drills quite a bit because he didn't even blink an eye. He was directing the Sunday school teacher in what to do. Hector, something you seem to be a proponent of is something called mental anchors. What are those? The reality is in a lot of instances, people freeze. Uh, The thing that they're seeing is so overwhelming, they just can't process that. The mental anchors are a way to help plant a seed. So God forbid that terrible day ever happens, you have an idea of what to do. And that's the reason why I start every presentation and discussion with a picture of my family because if something ever occurs, um, that, that day happens that, God forbid, I never want to, I want to be able to make it home. And it's that mental anchor that I plant and I talk about it out loud and, and I, I, I think about it so that I know how I'm going to react. It, it, it's sort of an end goal. A mental anchor is something as simple. And if you could visualize with me, if you will, you know, I'm pointing in the direction in front of me and saying, if there was something bad, violent, screaming and yelling coming from that direction, you know, what direction would you want to go? And dutifully, everybody should be mentally pointing the opposite direction. That's a mental anchor. When it comes down to it, it's, it's a very simple, very basic thing that if something bad is happening, 
I want to get away from it. So the mental anchor helps you remember not to freeze, but get away from danger. Exactly. It's not rushing into danger. It's figuring out what's going on. As an example, a mental anchor would be, and it could be created quickly, if I said, if you cut your hand and started bleeding, what's the first thing that you'd want to do? You'd want to stop the bleeding. And then you figure out everything else. So it's creating that, that strategy in your mind of what you need to do. Violence is happening. I need to get away from it. Is there a prime example of where mental anchors help someone? Yeah, we, we've had several situations, but, you know, as an example, and it wasn't a faith-based organization. It was an organization that uh, it was an animal shelter, and they had been the object of pretty significant um, outrage by some animal activists. And it got scary, and these people are threatening and following the members home. We went through the training. We helped develop some of these mental anchors. And then one day, the manager's up front opening for the day, and she sees a man in the parking lot damaging cars. He then notices her and turns and makes a beeline for the front. She has that reaction that we all have. Oh, my God, the thing that I'm most afraid of is just happening. And she froze for a second. And then she jumped over the counter. She went to the front door, and she locked the door. And that's really the end of the story. The, the bad guy didn't get in. Police came and took him away. And she was so unbelievably proud of herself because a 49-year-old woman was able to jump over a counter, and it's because she had made that mental decision that she was going to go home. She called me an hour later, just elated. Hector, 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 I jumped a counter. Who is this? And, <laughs> and we laughed and, and shared a virtual hug, and I was so proud that she was able to save herself from that problem. Yeah, so she just basically decided she was not going to be a victim, and she was going to make it home tonight. That's it. And, you know, it sounds like it's such a simple thing to say, but if you don't think about it, and, and when I say think about it, what I strongly encourage everybody to do is to, when they're safe, stop and stand in front of a mirror and have a conversation with yourself out loud that no matter what happens, if that day ever comes, you're going to do whatever you have to do to make it home. Fight 10 guys, drive 100 miles an hour, jump out a second-story window, and when you give yourself permission to come home, it's so much easier God forbid, if that day ever occurs, to react and do those things you need to to make it back home. With a few high-profile incidents in the news recently, a lot of people are wondering how they can keep where they worship safe. And that's what we're discussing tonight on Closer Look. With me tonight are Hector Alvarez of Alvarez Associates and Glenn Evans with the Church Security Alliance. Hector, you've said previously you prefer civilian-focused solutions. What does that mean exactly? something I think we all need to embrace. When we start talking about violence and protecting ourselves from violence, and I say this with all due respect and, and support because I, I am a police officer, but this is not a police officer issue to respond. When these things occur, what we know is we are on our own, and, and we don't have all the tools and resources law enforcement does. So when I say civilian-focused, I mean it's what do you and I and every other person bring to the table on a regular basis as we're driving to church or at the grocery store or at the mall the one thing that we have is that strong desire to want to come home. But we don't have everything else. I don't have a radio when I'm out as a civilian, but I can call all my 100 buddies. These programs, these ideas are based on the fact that we're going to be by ourselves, and we're going to have to buy ourselves those few five to ten minutes until somebody else comes. So how do you feel about panic rooms? Should organizations get those installed, in your opinion? You know, a panic room can, can be complicated when you think of the movies you know, some of the things I've seen on TV can be $100,000 solutions. So I, I do have, as an example at home, a panic room, which involves a solid wood door and a, and a deadbolt. 
and that'll buy myself and my family a couple minutes. We've done the same thing in businesses and churches where you try to find those those solid rooms, six walls, no windows, if you can, floor and ceiling, and add a lock on it. In the event something occurs, now your staff, employees, your your parishioners have a place to go and to protect themselves. That's a little bit higher level than just locking the front door. But Hector, even if it's a real solid piece of wood, how would that help in a crisis? Yeah, what we what we know, uh, and this is evidence based on on what we have seen occur, is that these people who are committing these horrific acts, they go to a physiological reaction. They hear and see less, and they tend to be focused on what's right in front of them. If they come into a facility and there's nobody running around and there's no access to anybody, then their targets, their goals have been removed. And remember, we really only need to buy ourselves, if we talk about the outside window, maybe 10 minutes. And people are coming to help us. These safe havens, these these interior rooms can buy you an unbelievable additional level of protection beyond just locking the front door. And uh, you could probably pick up that piece of wood and that deadbolt at Home Depot or something? You could dramatically improve the security of your school, safety, workplace, you know, for less than 50 bucks. Common sense, civilian-focused solutions with a dash of old-fashioned hospitality could be all it takes to ensure your church family are a little bit better protected. Our thanks to Glenn Evans of the Church Security Alliance and Hector Alvarez of Alvarez Associates for joining us tonight. And thank you for stopping by. For a closer look, I'm Alex Gregory. This has been Air One Closer Look. Find us online at airone.com.